Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. Does everybody have your handout? Yes. Okay, so Wednesday night, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you watched Wednesday night, but I know a good number of you did because I saw you on there, either on YouTube or on the Facebook. Wednesday night, I touched on a subject that I want to dig a little bit deeper into today, all right? If you missed Wednesday's teaching, I do encourage you to look it up on YouTube or Facebook and check it out. It's called Nation versus Nation. Uh, a title that comes to us from Matthew, famous Matthew chapter 24, the Olivet Discourse, when the disciples, the disciples said to Jesus, when, when are you coming back? And what should we look for that will signal your return? And he give them, gave them a, a laundry list of different things to look for, and we talked a little bit about that, and we've talked about that a lot in the past, but he said nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Today is part two of that message, kingdom... Uh, Kingdom versus kingdom. So we talked Wednesday night about nation versus nation. Nation really meaning ethnos, ethnic groups. And what we're seeing today in the streets really has a lot to do with that. Ethnic group is not necessarily race. Race is a Darwin word, by the way. If you study history, you study uh, the false science that our, uh, many of our schools are putting out, Race is an idea that came about thanks to uh, a man named Charles Darwin that said certain people are more advanced and developed than others, and that's how we uh, categorize them as different races. Okay? It's a demonic idea. Uh, there is one race, the human race. Amen? Yes. And our God is an artist, and just look at his portfolio by looking around this room. Isn't he an artist? Yes. Beautiful handiwork I'm looking at here, right? So... Uh, there's no, um, there's no doubt that the soul of our nation is at stake. I mean, it's literally hanging in the balance. I think I wrote this on the Facebook advertisement last night. The soul of our nation is hanging in the balance. Many people agree with that statement, and uh, you know, many people also agree with that statement for different reasons. But I believe that there is one reason in particular that we find ourselves in the current state that we find ourselves in as a nation. Let's look at our sheets if you got your handout. Matthew chapter 24 again. And we're going to read verses 6 and 7 again. And Jesus said, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. Say that with me. See that you are not troubled. Okay? Get that deep down in your heart. For all these things must come to pass, but, but the end is not yet. For nation, ethnos, will rise against nation. Tribe against tribe, not race against race. You get that? And kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. What I want to focus on here today is that word kingdom. And I gave you the Greek translation of it there. Basilia, which means royal power. It means kingship. It means dominion over territory, dominion over a place, over land, and rule as well. Kingdom against kingdom. I think too often times we think, oh, the United Kingdom. So they're going to fight. That could just mean, you know, big earthly kingdoms could fight against earthly kingdoms before the end. But I'll, I, 
I, I suggest this this morning, that's not all that it means, okay? We certainly see uh, nations or kingdoms rising up against kingdoms on this earth, but it, I, I submit to you that's not all that this verse means. The kingdoms of dark and light are battling in the streets of our nation as we speak. That's what we're witnessing today, church. Satan wants that dominion. He wants the dominion here. He wants the dominion here, but guess what? He cannot have it as long as this restrainer remains. Does anybody know what the restrainer is here today? Holy Spirit. Where does the Holy Spirit live? Within us. Because you're here. Do you understand that? Satan wants dominion. He wants rule of, of, this, of this nation. He wants rule of the downtown area. He's going to start downtown and he wants to work out, right? Mm -hmm. He wants dominion. He wants rule, but he cannot have it as long as the restrainer is here, the restrainer that is the Holy Spirit within you. Do you get that? Yes. Hear me now, especially all of you who are dealing with fear. Okay, especially all of you who are dealing with fear as you watch the news. Indeed, indeed, there is an enormous amount of wickedness abounding before our very eyes. Indeed, there is. But the world will not, will not descend into complete darkness as long as the Holy Spirit and the children of God abide here. That's the truth. This is kingdom versus kingdom. This is light versus dark, church. The soul of our nation hangs in the balance. And when I say the soul, I mean literally the souls of the people that make up our nation hang in the balance. And that's the struggle that we're witnessing in the streets, light and dark. I want to take you through some scriptures this morning. This is the point I want to make, and I want to take you through some scriptures uh, uh, to hopefully make this point and hopefully uh, uh, arm you with the truth and hopefully you'll be encouraged when you leave. So what we're going to do, if you have a Bible, I've given you a list of verses on your handout so you can go ahead and cheat and get ahead of everybody else if you want to flip to your pages or uh, make notes of where we're going. Uh, but we're going to go through a lot of scripture today. Uh, on this uh, point that I'm trying to make this morning, honestly, this might be one of the easier points I've ever had to make in a teaching because I'm just going to read the uh, I'm just going to read the Bible to you <laughs> a lot this morning. All right, so you no notice on your sheet you've got a lot of scriptures. Let's read first John chapter three verse one through twelve. Let's read. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi. We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There again, we see that same word, the basilia, the basilia. Most assuredly, I say, unto, say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the royal power of God. Unless he is born again, he cannot see the kingship of God, the dominion of God, the rule of God. So oftentimes, I think we have this Western mindset that's escapist. 
We think of heaven, we think of the kingdom of God, and we think of, I want to go to the kingdom of God. Yet Jesus is here saying the kingdom of God is among you. It's here, it's now. What is the kingdom truly? It is the dominion, authority, the kingship, the rule and dominion of God the Father here now among us even. We have to understand that fundamental principle. Jesus is coming. He's going to catch us away in the air. And we're going to be there, not here, for seven years. But guess what happens after that? We're coming back. In what form are we coming back? Kings and priests, rulers, to do what? Reign. To operate his kingdom for him. What is his kingdom? It's not a faraway place. His kingdom is here. It is royal power, kingship, dominion, rule. It was the job that Adam was given to do in the first place. <laughs> I heard a preacher uh, recently teaching. He said, but then an, an unemployed cherub uh, tricked Adam into giving him the job. Do you get that? Yes. An unemployed angel fallen lucifer right the kingdom he, he the, the kingdom of god he cannot see the kingdom authority rule dominion of god unless one is born again and nicodemus said to him let's keep reading verse four how can a man be born again when he is old that is confusing let's just be honest jesus said some confusing things when you're just thinking earth earthly minded born again what are you talking about this guy's crazy right <laughs> Nicodemus said to him, how can one be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. That's Basilia, cannot enter the royal power. He cannot enter the kingship. He cannot enter the dominion and rule of God. Was that the Holy Spirit or reverb, Andrew? I'm not sure. I'm telling you, church. Now, I want to back up real quick and make a note here for you guys. Unless one is born... Uh, where was it? Verse 5. Unless one is born of water and of the Spirit. This is a verse that gets hijacked and taken out of context a lot. Especially uh, in uh, legalistic parts of the South that I've encountered. Uh, born of water here, church, does we get baptized in water, okay? But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. There have been some Baptist sects that that get carried away and say, now you got to be dunked in the water and then later be baptized in the Holy Spirit means to be filled and have all kinds of gifts, right? That's a typical Pentecostal teaching. And you know us, we're, we're borderline Pentecostal here, aren't we? I mean, you heard the worship, right? Charismatic. My parents used to tell me that we were closet charismatics attending a Lutheran church. <laughs> Sounds about right. But uh, water here is symbolic of the birth. When a woman gives birth, what has to happen first? Water breaks. water breaks. That's the water that Jesus is talking about here. It's not, you gotta, he's not saying that sprinkling won't do, like sprinkle the forehead of a person. He's not saying that you've got to go completely under the water and then back up. I baptized somebody once in Arkansas and they like didn't go all the way under water and the crowd said, do it again, do it again. They didn't go all the way under water. Like it didn't take or something, you know? Uh, that's not what this is saying here. This is to be born of water means to be born of the flesh and then be born of the spirit. When are you born of the spirit, church? 
When you believed, Paul tells us in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, that when you believed, your heart was sealed with the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing your inheritance as sons. Your weathsia, your fully legally adopted heirs. Now, we, are, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit, don't we? I want them all, just like Paul, right? But that's not the context here, okay? Um, let's keep reading. Jesus then said, verse 6, That which is born of the flesh, see, he's even, he's even explaining it to him, is born of the flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Verse 7, Do not marvel that I said... Uh, to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and who, and you hear the sound of it, don't you? But cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. I'm trying to figure that out with this microphone, which way I should stand, right? I can't figure it out. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus in verse 9 answered and said to him, How can these things be? I, I feel you, Nick. I do. I feel you. How can these things be? Jesus answered and said, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak and we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I had told you uh, earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Now, heavenly there is the word ipuranios. It means heavenly regions. If I talk to you things of heavenly origins or nature, if I talk to you about things like the abode of God and the angels, which is the kingdom just beyond our vision, that it belongs to him, how will you believe me? Jesus is speaking dimensionally here. It's pretty cool because a lot of times our minds don't think in those terms. Uh, we understand the four dimensions that we live in, but and then we, we say we believe in God and God exists and we know at least in the spirit, which is ju just beyond our vision. So we at least believe in five dimensions. And it sounds we sound like science fiction weirdos when we talk about words like dimensions in church. Right. But every Christian uh, believes in the existence of di uh, more than four dimensions, period. Jesus is speaking dimensionally here. Jesus clearly draws the lines. Hear me now. He clearly draws the lines between this world and the world just beyond our physical vision. Just as you were, are born physically into this physical world, we must be born spiritually into this spiritual world. There are spiritual things, church, happening all around you. Even right here today, I'm fully convinced of it. Spiritual things happening all around you. It is every bit as real as the clothes that you are wearing, if not more real. But let's keep reading. Verse 13. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. That is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So there we see him pointing directly. Look, this was a prophecy about me. I'm fulfilling it. We've taught about that a lot. Let's keep moving. Verse 15. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. We all know this verse, right? This is where it comes from. Let's get this in full context. You see John 3.16 
and it, uh, held up as a sign at sporting events, always right between the goalposts and an NFL game, right? John 3.16, here it's coming right at you. Consider the context he's bringing this scripture to you, okay? Uh, we don't do the scripture justice when we pull it out of context, okay? Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. And a more accurate translation of this verse, which I love, it says, for this is how God loved the world. By doing what I'm about to say. Not just he so loved it. We have this idea of love in this country and in the Western mindset that love means it's emotional and we're wispy and we're romantic and we're this and that. If our love for God is rooted only in our emotions, we're in big trouble. He'll be 911. That's all he'll be for you. Okay? Uh, true love goes through hard times. True love is when you're angry at him and you're shouting at him, but you still love him, right? Yes. And then you say, I'm so sorry. I'm just like an. Your, your kingdom, your glory, who am I? That you're even mindful of me, oh Lord. What is wrong with me? But he, he, he knows that. He, he knows you. He's glad you come to him with that. Even with as your, the deepest parts of your brokenness, that's what he wants from you. The deepest parts of even when you're operating in, in selfism, he wants you to come still. All right? So let's keep reading. This is how God loved the world, that he gave. He did what? How did he love? He gave. He gave. He gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17. For God, get this now, verse 17. We always forget this one. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Hmm. That would be good to leave in there. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, might just be saved. Verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. People think, oh, God's playing favorites. You know, now you got to believe in him if you want salvation. No, we're all condemned. He's just giving you the only life raft off the sinking boat. Believe it or not, you're condemned either way. If you want, if you want to, you're not condemned because of something God did, okay? Or some situation God set up. No, we are to blame for our own sin. We are to blame for this current state of broken covenant. At least through our lineage, we are. The state of being sinful man goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. And you know what happened there, right? That wasn't God. God didn't do that. We get in the habit a lot, I think, of blaming God for things. And, you know, sometimes somebody just needs to look us in the eyes and say, God didn't do that. You did that. Right? Can we be real? He said, he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse 19. This is big. Please, in the context, hear me. And this is the condemnation. You ready for it? That the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light. Boom, period. There it is. You had Jesus, you had the light, but you loved darkness instead of the light. And men loved darkness rather than the light. Because why? Their deeds were evil, for everyone practicing evil hates the light. And does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. There it is, church. But he who does the truth 
comes to the light, and, the, and his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Church, hear me here. Maybe I'm not talking to you here. Maybe I'm talking to somebody on the cell phone today, right? Are you running from the light? Do you love the darkness you do? Do you love the darkness you hide in in certain ways? Church, we need to clean out our closets. There is no dark room in your house that you can afford to leave locked up and say, I'm going to keep this for me. That is not kingdom mentality. That is not kingdom thinking. Mm. Is it worth it? Ask yourself this. If, you, if that's you and identify, you identify with that, I can speak on authority on that because I've had things like that in my life before until I surrendered everything and just said, you know what, I'm going to stand fully exposed before you. I can live my life no other way. I tried to have it both ways at a time in my life. I'm no better than anybody else, right? Is it worth it? You know it isn't. You know it's not worth it, and that's why you wrestle with it. Jesus has, hear me here, Jesus has not come to condemn you, and nor do I try to condemn you today. He has come to call you out of darkness. You are not going to understand what you're seeing on TV. I'm, you're just not. You're not going to understand what you're seeing on TV until you understand what Jesus is trying to explain to Nicodemus. The peaceful protests that are going around right now, our country, the peaceful protests going around the country, I'm in. Might be surprised to hear that from me. I don't know. Peaceful protests going around the country, I am so in with that. What happened to George Floyd should never happen to anybody. Judge, jury, ex executioner right there on the street. Horrifying. And you can't convince me that bigotry wasn't a part of it. Okay? Horrifying. So, you know what? Peaceful protest? Thank you so much. I'll actually take that. <laughs> Getting fired up and dried up. <laughs> Pam, could you just douse me with the water? <laughs> It. You know, <clears throat> peaceful protests, I'm in. You know, I'll stand and petition our government. I'll stand and petition our government for the cause of justice in the face of injustice any day. Any day. <sighs> You've seen a lot of that, of that peaceful protest, protesting here lately. And guess what? It's effective. You know what else is effective? Voting out failed local politicians is very effective as well. Voting out failed police chiefs is very effective. But the rioting, the looting, the anarchy, that is not of God. Sorry if that offends you. It's not of God. And it is not covered by any unalienable rights that the Founding Fathers drew up. The organizations that are taking advantage of the situation and mixing among the peaceful protesters to stir the pot, and it is no doubt happening, these are deeds that are being done in darkness. When you see an otherwise peaceful protest and then somebody walks up from behind, not even a part of the protest, smashing the windows of an auto zone and lighting it on fire. We can't afford to be fools. The soul of our nation hangs in the balance, church. There are plenty of peaceful protests, and then the anarchists are mixing among them. 
and trying to take advantage of a good crisis, never let a good crisis go to waste, right? These are deeds that are being done in darkness because their hearts are of another kingdom. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5 reads, And you he made alive, you who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the, what? The prince of the power of the air. There is a prince here of the power of the air. And we once all walked among, uh, following his ways before Christ found us and pulled us out of the gutter. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. The prince of the power of the air is the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. There is a kingdom of darkness, and there are children that follow after the way of wrath. But God, verse 4, who is rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved, uh, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. The Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 3, 3 through 4, reads, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Little g, God. Who might that be? Could it be Satan? <laughs> I couldn't resist. The God of this age has blinded them, who do not believe lest the gospel... Why is he blinding them? Lest the, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. And he doesn't, Satan doesn't want the glory of God to shine on them. He's blinding their minds. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 reads, For we, we, us kingdom kids, right? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world against the spiritual wickedness in high places. Do you hear Paul? Do you hear Jesus here, church? There is a kingdom of this earth that Satan reigns and has dominion and power over. And there are those who are sons of that kingdom of darkness because Satan continues to blind their minds. Jesus, as he was standing before uh, uh, the Pharisees, they were accusing Jesus. They said, You're, you must be in league with Satan to be able to do all these, th all these miracles and stuff. Remember in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus standing before the uh, uh, Pharisees and they said, you must be in league with Satan. That's it. That's the only way you could do it because we're the godly ones here. We're the, one, we're the ones who represent Yahweh, uh, God the Father. So you must be with Satan. And Jesus said to them, but Jesus knew their thoughts as they were thinking. I shouldn't say they said it. They, all they had to do was think it, and Jesus read their minds. He said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, 
because he was casting demons out of people. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? There from the mouth of Jesus, there is a kingdom of darkness at play in this world. John chapter 18, verse 36, as Jesus stood before Pilate, Pilate asked him if he was a king, and Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. Again, acknowledging he does indeed have a kingdom. And it is not of this world, not like Satan's. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. And Matthew, and Matthew, he said, I could call forth 12 legions right now of angels if I wanted to. And they'd bust me out of here. You know how, much, how many a legion is? It's 10,000. I could call 120,000 angels right now. But that's not what I'm here for. There are two kingdoms at play here, church. See what Jesus is trying to get Nicodemus to see. See that today. If you really want to know what's going on here, church, you must look beyond the veil. You must. Two kingdoms at war. And guess what? Satan hates you. You do him the biggest favor when you pretend that he doesn't exist. You do him the biggest favor when you pretend that we're good here. I'm sure these things will blow over and all will just go back to normal. Uh, I'm sure we'll have a, a new normal here soon. We're at war, church. And we are the restrainer, by the way. He is raging. He's trying to take liberty. He's sowing division. He's trying to destroy our country from within. And it's, guess whose job it is to restrain him? It's yours. It's to you. It's to you now. But Satan doesn't even want us talking about this kind of stuff in church, does he? Mm -mm. The spirit of this dark age hates you. And these are perilous times that we live in. They truly are. Be cautious then what voices you listen to. Do you hear me? Be cautious what voices you listen to. Politics, media, music, music moguls, programming uh, on your TVs, entertainment, so on and so forth, and pastors. Yeah. You hear me? Yes. Second yes. Timothy chapter three verse one through six reads, "But know this: in the last days, show of hands, last days, anybody? Mm -hmm. Just me too. I think so." In the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, <laughs> having a form of godliness but denying its Power, and from such people turn away exclamation point Paul's exclamation point not mine turn away for of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loading down loading them down with sins led away by various lusts obviously that was a problem uh, in the Ephesian church, because this is a letter to Timothy from Paul. He was Timothy was the pastor of Ephesus. Basically, that means manipulation. These are the kind that manipulate. 
Ask yourself, do you see this happening now? What I just read. Are we there yet? Let's read one more. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 18 through 19. I love the header on this. It says, deception of false teachers. For they speak great swelling words of emptiness. They speak great swelling words of emptiness. Boy, they're, and they're convincing, aren't they? That is just what I wanted to hear. I feel better about me now, right? But they're empty. They allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. I want you to get this, okay? They, ha they allure through the lusts of the flesh. They allure the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error while they promise liberty. So there's people who have already been liberated from legalism or liberated from lawlessness or liberated by the truth in whatever form. Then here come these false teachers to grab them right back up and bring them into something else. While they promise them liberty, they, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. Are we seeing this? Are we there yet? You know, I, we've been there for a while, honestly, if you ask me. But it's time to wake up. It's time to see this for what it is. It's time to see this the way Jesus was imploring Nicodemus to see this. Look beyond the veil. See what is really happening here, church. Satan wants you to think a man or woman is your enemy because of the color of their skin. He wants you to think that they're your enemy because of the neighborhood they grew, grew up in or what they might be protesting for. If they're protesting peacefully, I don't care what they're protesting for. I might disagree. That's their right. It's called freedom of speech, right? But now the anarchy, that's a different matter. Your enemy, church, is the spirit of this dark age and those who love the darkness and hate the light. That's what we're looking at and that's what we're witnessing. And why do they hate the light though? What did we already read here today, right? They're blinded. They're blinded and it exposes them. Are you ready to be exposed? I say, Lord, if I got anything going on in here, show it to me, right? Oh, Jesus. Jesus would have it not be this way. He didn't come to condemn, remember? He didn't come to condemn. He came to liberate. He said, come on. Oh, boy, I'm excited for you. I'm excited for you. Just come out of darkness. Come out of darkness. He came to liberate. Mm -mm, truly. Not falsely as those who operate in a manipulative spirit promise, but truly to liberate freedom. Oh, church. Mm -mm -mm. You know, those that would deceive you would love to tell you that you freedom is really when you can gratify your sinful and violent nature. But that's not freedom. It's a death sentence. It's time to wake up. Romans 13, 11 through 12 famously says, and do this. Do this. Understanding the present time, the hour has come, it has already come, for you to wake up 
from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Wake up and do what? What do you say? Here it is. We're getting, to, we're getting into some application points here, church. Are you ready? It's time to wake up, right? And do what? Put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Clean out the closet, church. Yeah, it's time. The hour is at hand. Clean out the closets. Bring the light into any dark areas of your life, church, and bring the light to those operating in darkness. Maybe they have got one last chance through you to come into the light. Put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. What do you need armor for? Anyone? War. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5, 4. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. There's a lot of things today exalting itself or themselves against the knowledge and word of God, aren't there? Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So we cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the, the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to what? The obedience of Christ. So applications point. Put aside the deeds of darkness. Put them aside and put on the armor of light, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. There's your marching orders. Align yourself with your king. The lines are drawn. They're clear as day. What does light have in common with darkness? The answer is nothing. Darkness cannot stand in the presence of light. Light a match in a dark room sometime and watch the darkness flee. And you know what? Align yourself with your king in thought, word, and deed, and do not be afraid. Can I invite Andrew back up here this morning? If you could just play that last song that we did, that would be awesome. It's the first Sunday of the month, and we're so blessed to get to meet together. We didn't get to the last first Sunday of the month or the one before that. Uh, you know that we do communion. So can I get our ushers to come up here? Thank you, guys. So we're, we're doing these today. If you guys don't know how it works, there's a cellophane peel that comes off the top, which gives you your wafer. And then the second one gets you into the grape juice. If I can figure it out. <laughs> In theory, right? Pam, can you figure this out for me? Thank you. <laughs> I, I can't do two things that I won't even be able to think of anything else until I... <laughs> Thank you. Oh, what a blessing it is to be here with you guys today.
come into the presence of the Lord and share communion. You know, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And so the first church, every time they got together, they did it. We do it once a month. They did it as often as they gathered. Jesus sitting there at the last Passover, we see the famous painting of the Last Supper. It was actually a Seder. As they celebrated the Seder meal, for Jesus was about to become the Passover lamb sacrifice for us all. So Jesus lifted up the bread, which wasn't a little wafer. It was matzah. Matzah that has no leaven in it, leaven that is symbolic of sin in the Hebrew culture. He held up that matzah that had, thank you, that had no sin in it. In other words, it's because there's no leaven, there's no yeast. It didn't rise, it was thin. As it's baked, it gets brown spots and it's pierced so it doesn't, so, so it'll bake evenly. So the matzah is pierced and it is bruised and it has no sin in it. Who does that sound like? Jesus held that up and he said, this is my body that has been given for you, given. Nobody takes my life from me, I freely give it for you out of his great love. So let's take it together, church, shall we? Then he held up the cup of wine, the cup of redemption. And as we're doing this, church, I just ask that you be contemplative in your heart. Is there any closets you need cleaning out? Is there anything that you're holding on to that hides in the darkness? Expose it, let the light expose it this morning and give it to Jesus. He has come to liberate you from that because it brings you more pain than pleasure. It brings separation between you and he, and that's not what he wants. Let no daylight stand between you. He lifted up the, the cup at the Seder. It was the cup of redemption. And he said, drink this and remember the blood I shed for you. So let's do it, church. If you're here this morning and God is moving on your hearts right where you stand right now, just every eye closed, every head bowed. If you're here and you need to clean out the closets, bring everything into the light, whatever it is. If he's calling you and you're seeing this for what it is for the first time, two kingdoms at war with each other and you want to align yourself with your king in thought, word, and deed. If that's you here this morning, raise your hand. Let him see you. I want to pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God is good. God is good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you see our hearts and we thank you for how good you are. We thank that you didn't come to condemn, but you came to liberate and to draw us out of darkness. And so we do step forward out of darkness and into the light, Lord Jesus. We align our hearts, our minds, and our very being with your kingdom, Lord. Lord, we stand with you in thought, word, and deed, and we commit that to you in our hearts and our minds to the best of our abilities. And where we, where we fail in our attempts at that, we say thank you, peace, glory to God that we have the grace given to us by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That you have put out your righteousness to cover our shortcomings. And we say thank you. And we say thank you. And God's church says thank you. Amen and amen. amen. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he pour his favor, his grace, his light out on your hearts and light the path before you. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.